Season 3 of True Enough brings you more missing persons. An Amber Alert was immediately raised. Police investigated to the best of their ability. No trace of her was ever found. More unsolved murders. The blood was spattered all over the place. She knew her attacker. I mean, he was in the area, that's about all I can say. Because of the blood smears on her body. More paranormal. That was unnerving. We just heard like a whistle in the woods. It freaks me out. I just heard what sounded like a growl behind me. I felt unsettled. And more unexplained. It's a it's an investigation to a phenomenon. Something happened? Things that happened to me, at least, that I can't explain. Will it be true enough? What is a curse? Is it a feeling? Is it the remembrance of a bad event? Is it a history of bad events at a certain date or time? Is it a philosophy? Is a curse a bad prayer? Is it the belief of horrible events based on a past experience? Is it merely the belief that something unlucky will befall you? This month's episode is about curses. Probably the most recognizable and superstitious of all curses is the curse of Friday the 13th. Most everyone has heard of this curse, but you may not know the history behind it. According to biblical tradition, 13 guests attended the Last Supper held on Maudie Thursday, including Jesus and his 12 apostles, one of whom was Judas, who betrayed him. The next day, of course, was Good Friday, the day of Jesus's crucifixion. The seating arrangement at the Last Supper is believed to have given rise to the long-standing Christian superstition that having 13 guests at a table was a bad omen, specifically that it was courting death. In addition to that, the ancient Code of Hammurabi, for example, reportedly omitted a 13th law from its legal rules. Though this is probably an oversight, superstitious people sometimes points to this as proof of the 13's long-standing negative associations. On Friday, October 13th of 1307, officers of King Philip IV of France arrested hundreds of Knights Templar, a powerful religious and military order formed in the 12th century for the defense of the Holy Land, imprisoned on charges of various illegal behaviors, but really because the king just wanted access to their financial resources, many Templars related executed. Some cite the link with the Templars as the origin of the Friday the 13th superstition. In the late 19th century, New Yorker named Captain William Fowler sought to remove the enduring stigma surrounding the number 13, and particularly the unwritten rule about not having 13 guests at a dinner table, by founding an exclusive society called the 13 Club. The group dined regularly on the 13th day of the month in room 13 of the Knickerbocker Cottage, a popular watering hole Fowler owned from 1863 to 1883. Before sitting down for a 13-course dinner, members would pass beneath a ladder and a banner reading Moratori te Salatumas, Latin for those of us who are about to die, 
salute you. In more recent times, a number of traumatic events have occurred on Friday the 13th, including the German bombing of Buckingham Palace, September 1940, the murder of Kitty Genovese in Queens, New York, March 1964, a cyclone that killed more than 300,000 people in Bangladesh in November of 1970, the disappearance of a Chilean Air Force plane in the Andes in October of 1972, the death of rapper Tupac Shakur in September 1996, and the crash of the Costa Cordia cruise ship off the coast of Italy, which killed 30 people in January of 2012. That is a lot of crazy history. For those of you who don't know, Kitty Genovese's story is usually, or it used to be, uh, usually told to women and girls. Kitty was attacked in New York City and yelled for her neighbors to help. Several opened windows and yelled at her attacker, but no one did anything else. This is why women are now told to shout fire when they're in trouble and not help. So what do you think about Friday the 13th? And I'm going to point out that we are actually recording this episode on Friday the 13th. Yes, we are. So let's hope that the recording doesn't like, I don't, don't know. Don't, don't even say that. Don't jinx it. Don't jinx it. Because <laughs> um, we have a lot to discuss. Don't say that. My, my wonder about it is, is besides the code of Hammurabi thing, is is it totally based in Christian uh, history? I guess or, or the Christian religion. Is that I guess is that the primary root of it? Well, some people just have a fear of the number thirteen, triskaidekaphobia. Triskaidekaphobia is the fear of the number thirteen. Try saying that a couple That's times. That's an SAT word. It is. It's <laughs> an SAT word. But that is the fear of the number thirteen. I don't really think it has a lot to do with religion i mean personally but people just i don't know for and i i will say i went to the liquor store today and went to use my credit card machine and their credit card machine just stopped working and i thought to myself friday the 13th so so it gives it gives is it an excuse is it an excuse it, does, it, does it give people the opportunity to blame something on that date eh, could when be. something bad happens could on be. that date be, I mean, there, but I have also like my, my father a few years ago died on the 19th of November and it obviously was not a pleasant day. I love my dad very much. Uh, so that was really hard. And then the following month on the 19th of December, I got into a car wreck. So the 19th of the month for me for a while was a day that I really tried not to do much. It just was a bad was just a bad experience on that number day. And I think that speaks to something about about curses is that something, not just one bad thing, but numerous bad things have to be attributed to that that circumstance of that curse or around that curse for it to be established as a curse. If it's just one thing, it's just hey, something bad happened that one day, or something bad happened to, because it's that one thing. But if it's reiterated over and over again, if we see a pattern. Yeah, so per perhaps it's the, it's the pattern of bad or unlucky things that happen on a single day. Perhaps it's the pattern. So the makeup of a curse is a pattern of bad things happening because of what we believe is not necessarily one thing. But like in this case, it's it's was it because 13 people were sat at the table of Christ? Yeah. Is it is it is that the thing is that is it is that the well, thing it's not the single thing but single a lot thing. of hotels don't have a floor number 13 if you go up their elevators i mean it's not there is obviously a 13th floor but it's not the elevator is always missing the number 13. <laughs> out, out of uh, uh, an abundance of caution i guess yeah yeah 
which is interesting. But so that was kind of our first curse. So the next kind of weird curse that I have, and I was not really aware too, too much of this until recently. It's called the 27 Club. It's become one of the most elusive and remarkable tragic coincidences in rock and roll and basically creative history. Uh, the term became widely known after Kurt Cobain's death in 1994, with rock fans connecting his age to that of Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Brian Jones, and Jimi Hendrix. Though it was not notable to fans in the early 70s when those four visionaries died within just two years of each other. When Amy Winehouse passed away at age 27 in 2011, it, was, it attracted even more attention to the significance of the age. While the club has been largely connected to musicians, it has expanded as many young actors and artists have lost their lives due to everything from addiction to suicide to freak accidents, all at the age of 27. Um, and to date, there are 76 members. That's a lot of members. Uh, I will say like the first one, I actually have a full on list in my hand of all 78 members. I'm sorry, all 76 members. The earliest is in 1892. Alexandra Levy was a composer and pianist and conductor. Um, let's see a few other names on here. Jesse Belvin in 1960, R&B singer, pianist, songwriter. Joe Henderson, R&B gospel singer. Dickie Pride, uh, 1969, rock and roll singer, Brian Jones, uh, Rolling Stones founder, guitarist, and multi-instrumentalist, Drowning. He died, he drowned. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, 1970, asphyxia due to drug use, Janis Joplin, drug overdose in 1970. Uh, Jim Morrison, heart failure in 71. Leslie Harvey, uh, 1972, died of electrocution. Uh, guitarist in several Scottish bands, most notably the S Stone the Crows. Ron Pigpen McKernan, gastrointestinal hemorrhage. Founding member, keyboardist, singer of the Grateful Dead, uh, died in 73. Pamela Corson, who was the long-term companion of Jim Morrison and the heir to his estate, died in 74 at age 27. Stretch, who was a rapper, died in 1995, murder. Fat Pat, American rapper and member of Screwed Up Click. Murdered in 1998. Jonathan Brandis. Mo Bad was the last on this list. Uh, he was a Nigerian rapper. He died in in September of this year. Wow. That is a lot of people who died at that age. And, and, and so obviously one of them is just purely accidental, but some of them are. Well, some of them are accidental. It's not, it's not that. It's not the fact of how they died. It's just that these were artists and actresses and music and musicians that all happened to be have that profession and all at that age die at that age. Now I'm wondering if there has been a statistical study done. Here we go to look at other ages around that. Like, like have as is there a preponderance of deaths in any other age? I would say that, in any other profession at that age, not at any other age. Right, right. It's, it's, it's more about the fact that these are all like artists and stuff people. and they're and famous people and things like that, that they all happen to die at that age. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm wondering, like, how do you measure fame, of course? So 
Oh my God. So I'm just, I'm just thinking about, about a statistical study of like. Can you and the audience tell that Brandon deals with data all day long <laughs> at his day job? And Does I, it always, if, if he says, and you can actually turn this into a drinking game for our podcast. If he says statistical analysis, just drink every time he says it. <laughs> I just want to see if there's a chart. If we chart this out. <laughs> or chart. You can use that one too. <laughs> If we see another age of famous people, let's say below the age of 65, if there is a preponderance of deaths in any other age. That's my and, and I think that's the thing. There isn't a preponderance yeah. of deaths in any other age group. That That's kind of why it is the 27 Club. That It's just a weird thing. Is it a curse? Nah, I, I, don't, I don't know that I would call it. It's just very odd. Mm -hmm. It is. There it really is. is that there are that number of people at age 27 in that kind of artistry profession that passed away. So I don't know. It's weird. That says to me, like any young artist, any artist or any person that I, that I, any, any, any famous person that I admire right now, who's younger than 27, I just want to send them a, a card saying like, stay, stay inside for the entire year of your 27 <laughs> or, year. Or just, be healthy for the age of 27. Just be careful what you're doing. Don't, don't do anything silly. <laughs> don't take any risks. Yeah. Don't don't drink too much. Don't do drugs. Just, you know, just, just stay sit, in... sit in a closet for a year. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we're joking about it, but I mean, it is, it, it's, it is, it's, yeah. it's a tragedy yeah. that, I mean, people who are that young, I mean, I get it that the fame, fame is hard. Music industry is hard that you are very tempted by drugs and things like that. And I mean, early on in the fifties and sixties and stuff like that, artists who were on the road a lot were using these things to stay awake to go from show to show Indeed. because they they couldn't perform yeah. so that i feel like was kind of a large cause of it in the 50s 60s and 70s of this is kind of what they were doing i mean the 70s maybe not so much because they were into all kinds of weird crap in the 70s um but it that's kind of yeah it's just it's it's a sad sad fact that there are that many artists that have passed away at that age that young age it's crazy to me and there's a club about it there's a club yeah. that they are a part of that you'd never want to be a member yeah so the other thing we're going to discuss were curses in general there are cities and places that have been kind of gone through history that were supposedly cursed and one of which i kind of was watching a documentary the other night and this was kind of brought up that um a lot of the port cities in the 1800s were considered cursed because ships would come ashore with, you know, stuff from Asia, Africa, and it would be whoever they were bringing on board. Sadly, I don't want to say slaves, but that was what they did. That was a course of trade, horrifyingly enough. Um, but a lot of you, it's a different environment. It's a different ecosystem. A lot of diseases were brought on those ships, whether it was from goods, whether it was from people visiting where they got off their ship at their port and then they came back. So a lot of ports in and around the world were kind of listed as cursed. But, and one of which uh, in the 1800s was New Orleans. It was labeled floating death. Wow. Yeah, that that's crazy, right? Because it had so many deaths that were happening due to yellow fever and uh, a whole kind of litany of other of other diseases. But 
was it cursed? I, it was just the fact that they didn't know any better about disease and germs and things that might that you might be bringing into this country that might hold disease or have gotten mold or something like that. Yeah. What about the like? Were you saying like it just happened because? Of the city itself. Yeah, I mean, they they didn't understand that people were bringing these diseases to their shores. So a lot of kind of port cities were were labeled that way. And it was just interesting, uh, you know, speaking of places that were cursed, that back then, New Orleans was considered a cursed port. Mm. But differently, a different kind of curse is and i hope to actually get there one day um i hope to do a great deal of investigation kind of in west virginia because it's a great part of the country and i have relatives there and if you're listening hey guys um but lake shawnee amusement park it's an abandoned amusement park in princeton west virginia in the 1700s the property was the active home base for native americans until they seemed to suddenly disappear a lot of things were excavated um, after the park closed. Uh, among those things that were found were bracelets, clothing, tools, uh, but they also found mass graves that suggested that as many as 3,000 Shawnee Native Americans may have been buried on the property. It was a shocking discovery that furthered yet another story that played out on the land, that of the Clay family. In the 1770s, Mitchell Clay and his wife, Phoebe, and their children became the county's first English settlers. Sorrow did not spare them in their new home. In 1783, members of the Shawnee tribe murdered their two children, Tabitha and Bartley, on the property. Mitchell tracked down the tribe members into Ohio where he found a third child, his son Ezekiel, burned at the stake. All three children were buried on the property and a monument now stands on the location of the tragic death as a memorial to them. Well, this may have been the first violent tragedy to take place on the property. It certainly was not the last, especially with regard to children. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park opened its doors in 1926 when proprietor Conley Snidow Sr. purchased the land his vision to build a place for local families to relax and enjoy time together was realized as the coal miners from local towns descended on it each year, making it a destination for summer vacations. Uh, the park brimmed with activities, featured a man-made swimming lake, racetrack, concessions, cabins for visitors desiring overnight stays. The cornerstones were the Ferris wheel and the swings, two rides popular with everyone who spent time at the park which sounds so sweet. Tragedy began to grip Lake Shawnee's amusement park in, 19, in the 1950s when several deaths shocked locals. A girl's life ended on the swing ride when a delivery truck backed into her seat, killing her in place. So she was in on the swing ride when a truck backed into her. Like that big her. rotating swing. That... Yeah. Wow. Right? That's horrible. Horrible. Another young boy lost his life when he drowned in the swimming pool after his arm got stuck in a drain pipe. Eek. By 1966, Lake Shawnee Amusement Park closed its doors to the public and the land sat dormant for decades. In the 1980s, the park began to welcome visitors when Gaylord White acquired 
the land and set out to restore it to its former glory. In addition to purchasing the Ferris wheel, he found a swing ride that seemed to be just like the swings that once thrilled the guests. When they installed the swings on the property, they realized the serial number matched one of the swings that were on the property from the 1920s until the park closed in, 1990s, in 1966. It was a serendipitous homecoming that made the grand opening even more poignant. Lake Shawnee Amusement Park welcomed tens of thousands of visitors during its run, which ran for just three years in the 1980s. Unfortunately, high insurance prices forced the White family to close their doors for the second and final time after a few short seasons. It has been noted that a lot of, I don't know, just a lot of crazy stuff happens there. I know that there's a lot of paranormal activity and specifically they, a lot of the rides are still there. They're just abandoned. And people can see a swing on that swing ride move by itself, which is a little crazy. Does that mean it was cursed? I don't know. I don't know if it was. I have, I have two minds about this. I, I always think about this study of of um, there is there is a museum, and I'll put this. I'll find it and put this in the show notes. There, a museum had a sort of experiment. They had two plants in this area growing in the exact amount of sunlight given the exact amount of water and they had passerbys come by and one plant they had passerbys come by and give it give this plant compliments and shout nice things at it and praise it and the other plant they had come by and shout insults at it and yell at it and call it names and the plant that received negative you know sentiments quickly died it died it died faster than the plant that received positive sentiments i think and i th it, it says something about negative energy and okay. i wonder if and so it, it it makes the case that there's negative energy and 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 it can be received and processed and and and, and it has an effect on things what so are, so are you suggesting that the, when they initially set up the amusement park that would have been siphoning off the negative energy which killed two kids? No, 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 no. Let me let me continue. So, three thousand burials there obviously has a lot of sorrow connected to yeah, yeah. these burials. It was a burial site, a burial ground. Obviously, has a lot of sorrow to it. Did that sorrow permeate that land? So my 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 question is: Did the did the, the the negative energy of people mourning and grieving from those times of when the, uh, the Shawnee people were were buried mm -hmm. did that permeate the land and affect people's experiences later on on that land like like people at, at amusement park? My second thought is how could that be if tens of thousands of people went to that amusement park? Obviously, tens of thousands of people went in, had a great time, and left. Yeah, I mean and, that, and that that's where I was gonna say no. I don't think so. Can, I mean, can I, we pick out those couple instances that you talked about that were obviously tragedies, and say that's because of this? That's because of this. There were actually, and I remember years ago watching a documentary about that there were actually more people that died other than just those two kids. That a couple of people drowned in the man-made lake and things like that uh unsubstantiated apologies um but that i remember watching a documentary on it where there were actually more than just those two kids that died but um but i mean yeah i i think it's the tragedy definitely plays a part in it i i don't think the place is cursed i mean i feel like if it were 
feel like if it were cursed, it would kind of have had a lot more problems <laughs> than than just the the two the two or maybe four deaths on it. Um, and you know, you, you never you never can tell when you open up an amusement park whether it's going to hit or miss. And it did run for quite a long time. Right. It was very successful. Right. So before it shut its doors, even the first time, and then you know, then insurance gets too high and, and things like that, which I, you know, I get. If but... there's a, if there's a constant stream, I mean, a constant stream, yeah. like, like yeah. once a month for, yeah. for the entire run of this amusement park, I'd be more inclined to think. But I will say people have said when they go there to like investigate that they have like an intense feeling of dread. But again, if you're going to investigate a paranormal site where, you know, you've got thousands of native americans that are buried there and like don't you already go in with that kind of negative connotation that you're going to be creeped out when you go right. there? it's an abandoned amusement park that has like moss growing on the ferris wheel it does not it doesn't you know it doesn't look like a happy place anymore because it's old and abandoned yeah confirmation bias yeah 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 so another place and we'll, I, we're actually not going to talk so much about the place, but more about the family that that uh, occupied the place. We'll briefly discuss the, the Hayden family, the, the William Henry Hayden house, which was built um, by William Henry Hayden. Uh, and we'll talk about him uh, and the curse surrounding himself and uh, his family. So in 1798, Silence Dale, resident of Braintree, Massachusetts, and daughter of a wealthy widow, uh, married William Henry Hayden. Uh, and in 1801, William and Silence moved to an area that would later become Albany, Vermont. Silence, what an odd name. What a great name. Silence. <laughs> Complete difference of opinion there. Uh, Silence's mother, which is who was the wealthy widow, uh, William Henry Hayden's mother-in-law, Mercy Dale, uh, also joined them. Oh, okay. Uh, and between 1801 and uh, from 1801 to 1806 to 1809, we'll talk about that that difference in years at the end there uh, in a second. Uh, William prospered in Albany, Vermont, uh, with financial support with financial support from from Mercy, um, and he would run a textiles mill. Nice. Okay. He would also become a militia captain, a selectman, and highway surveyor. Okay. Now he had very fine tastes. And, as do we all and he would live lavishly um using his earnings and borrowings from mercy uh to fund the construction of a mansion later known as as the hayden house he would routinely ask his mother-in-law mercy dale for money oh but he would never repay it mm. but he kept asking for more so between 1806 and 1809 depending on your sources um 1806 in between this period uh, Mercy Dale became suspicious of William and angry about his his debt to her. She would later suffer from a long illness, oh. uh, and she accused William of poisoning her, uh, so that she would pass away and not have to re repay her. And also, he so he'd probably inherit, or his wife would inherit some money, right? Exactly, which would go to him because women didn't um, weren't allowed to inherit. So, uh, Mercy, as Mercy lay dying. In the presence of her daughter, Silence, uh, she uttered an ominous curse, uh -oh. stating, and I quote, The Hayden name shall die in the third generation, and the last to bear the name 
shall die in poverty. Wow. After Mercy passed away, she was laid to rest in the burial plot of a close friend, Sarah Rogers, having refused to be buried in the Hayden family plot. So that's how much she hated what had happened. Wow. Did not even want to be buried next to her daughter. Right, right. So due to differing years cited by various sources, 1806 to 1809, uh, we're not sure exactly when that death took place. Um, And Mercy Dale's gravestone was moved years later when her plot, amongst several others, were were dug up and moved elsewhere. So we can't find out the exact year she 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 passed away. But it's between those three years. Okay. Um, so 1810 to 1823, uh, a surveyor William received payments in plots of land, uh, accumulating around 900 acres. Okay. Uh, and by 1823, he had serious trouble trouble either maintaining his land, yeah. his finances, or both. He was sued several times for debt repayment. And 18, but in the 1830s, uh, sometime in that in that decade, he actually fled to Canada. Wow. Uh, and uh, by 1848, uh, William Henry Hayden, having moved to upstate New York by that time, he passed away in, in poverty. By this time, by, by 1848, uh, William in silence had, had, had produced nine children, but only, only two would survive to, to adulthood. Wow. William Henry Hayden uh, II, or, or Jr. In some, in some sources, William Henry Hayden II, later known as Will, um, and uh, his sister, Arethusa, survived to adulthood. Okay. So one male, one female. Arethusa, spoiler alert, never married, never had any children. So it's just, it's all, the, okay. the, the lineage is now dependent upon William. Uh, Will. So uh, by 1850, um, uh, William, William Henry Hayden, who had passed away in 1848, and, si- and silence his wife, they never mentioned this curse to their children. Um, oh, okay. Either they either they they actively didn't do it, or they just didn't mention it. They just they, did they believe in the curse though? Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Oh, they did, okay. But they just okay. never said it to their okay. children. Okay. Uh, Sally Rogers, the friend of Mercy Dale, does mention the curse to her daughter Mary, who and, and that's how it's been recorded. Oh, okay. So Sally Rogers apparently, I'm, I'm thinking that, and this is my speculation. Uh, Mercy tells this what she said to to sign oh, she says to her t- tells her friend yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Tells okay, okay. says i curse them i curse them uh yeah, yeah. um now 18 it's 1854 will uh the son uh, he's now a railroad construction magnate and purportedly also living a lavish lifestyle just like his father oh dear has a mansion which is now known as the william hayden house constructed as a sign of basically as a sign of his opulence of his, of his family's wealth yeah um and with his wife azuba these are some great are family names great right names. here. I'm just saying. Uh, they produce several daughters um, and have one son, um, William Henry Hayden III, okay. later known as Henry. Henry Hayden has three daughters and one son. So this is now the fourth generation. Okay. So this this seemingly breaks the curse because the fourth generation. Yeah, you know, yeah. But Henry's son died of an illness at age five. Oh, so after this, in 1874, Silence Dale Hayden passed away. Um, 1883, uh, Will finally passes away. Oh, gosh. Uh, 1892, his wife Azuba passes away. And at, so after that, it's all we have is is Henry, his sisters, 
and their children are left. And between 1892 and 1910, after um, Azuba passed away, a fight broke out between all the last of the living Haydens, Henry and his sisters, over who controlled the fortune. Oh, man, of course. And Henry was accused of burning papers that showed how the Hayden fortune was supposed to be divided. Oh, gosh. And conspiring with his brother-in-law to swindle his relatives. Others presumed that Henry had stolen the fortune and hidden it someplace. Um, because Henry himself would live live in poverty around this time. Yeah. Basically, it, the belief was he's not going to appear rich. People are going to ask him for money. He's not going to... He's just hiding his wealth, essentially, was the, was, okay, was the so belief. Okay, so he's not really in poverty. He's just dug a hole on his property somewhere with a giant treasure chest with a whole bunch of treasure doesn't want anybody else to get the money yeah. is essentially oh, wow. the belief but but who knows what if that was the case because yeah did. yeah who knows so at this time the hayden mansion is unoccupied for almost 20 years oh my gosh uh and in 1910 william henry hayden iii last male of the hayden family line passes away and in 1927 mamie hayden um, daughter of Henry uh, and great granddaughter of Mercy Dale, unmarried and without children, passed away in poverty. Wow. So, what is? I mean, I get that she cursed the the family and all that. I, I just feel like it was also a sign of the times that you would at one second be opulent and then kind of the shit would hit the fan. Um, and, you know, you, you couldn't manage the things that you had managed to acquire, land, factories, and things like that. So that was kind of par for the course at that time, when if you were accumulating a lot of land and getting additional factory, you would have good and bad times, you know, peaks and valleys. Uh, that's a part of any generation's life. Do you, I'm not so sure I believe in that curse. I mean, I think it's an interesting coincidence. Right. Like the same could be said about the Vanderbilts. Oh, great. Like Vanderbilts now aren't opulent. Like the, the Vanderbilt family as an opulent, rich empire of a family doesn't exist anymore. Right. Does, did they, were they cursed? No, I mean, yeah. there are any number of stories that are kind of like that about family curses and so forth. I mean, I, I think that, you know, back kind of very early on, maybe 1800s, they took those curses like very seriously. Now I feel like if somebody says it on their deathbed, someone's like, oh, he's using his meds. <laughs> you know, it's just just kind of the difference of the, like back then, like they took that stuff super seriously. Uh, well, some of them did. I won't say all of them did. I think there is there's something to be said about cursing from your deathbed. <laughs> It does have a lot more impact kind of when you do that. You're using, you're using the last of your living energy. To kind of spout that out to whoever or whatever you are flinging your energy on. And you like, put that out that's in the world. You put that out in the world. Yeah. And think about that, folks. <laughs> what what do you want your last words to be? Do you want it to be a curse? Yeah. I, well, these weren't Mercy's last words. They were close to her last words because she would die soon after, but uh, I kind of so, so it wasn't okay. So she was on her deathbed, but that curse was not like the last thing she ever spoke. Right, right, right. Okay, so not her last words. Not her last words, but she definitely used her last energy, one of her, her remaining yeah, energy. She was that mad, like yeah. Now I, I quibble. I'm again analytical here. I quibble with the language of the curse, uh, and and what actually happened because she says apparently the Hayden name shall die in the third generation. 
But then it didn't die in the third generation. Mamie, it died in the fourth. Yeah, Mamie Hayden was not male, but she was Mamie Hayden yeah. when she passed away. She, she was, was third generation. She was fourth generation. She was Henry's. Oh, she was fourth generation. She was Henry's child. Okay. So, but not a male. Right. So, um, she would presumably, if she had married, the name would have gone away. Yeah. Um, but she did die in poverty. Yeah. Um, well, that happens. Yeah. So, so uh, in the how the the mansion still remains, and it has been um, um, renovated. Reno I would imagine it's been, it's been renovated, <clears throat> and uh, there is uh, it's 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 there's rumors that it's it's haunted. It would not surprise me. And we can totally talk about that in another episode. Yes, man. Let, let's maybe go there and investigate. Yep. The last curse we'll talk about is the curse of Centralia. Centralia is a town in eastern Pennsylvania. It was a town, rather. I'll talk about was. Uh, it's a two and a half hour drive northwest of Philadelphia. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about the background. Um, in 1842, uh, coal and iron was discovered and mining operations started there. And while this attracted business, it also attracted crime and a secret society slash gang slash mafia kind of operation known as the Molly Maguires arrived there oh, yeah. okay. um, from Ireland and targeted Irish American miners. Back in 1878, members of the Molly Maguire gang targeted and killed the town mayor. Oh, my God. Alexander Ray, which is pretty ballsy. I would say. In response to this murder, three members were publicly hanged, but the terror continued. And according to legend, Centralia's first Catholic priest, Father Daniel Ignatius McDermott, which is a very Irish name, was attacked by three members of the Molly Maguire gang. And before being attacked, he cursed the land, swearing that one day the only building left in Centralia would be the St. Ignatius Roman Catholic Church. Shortly after this, all the, all the Molly Maguire gang members were hanged and the terrorism stopped. And essentially in, Philadelphia, in, in Pennsylvania. All, all, all the Molly Maguire gang members hunted down. People just had they, enough. They just had enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the descendants of these of of the of, of these gang members remained in Centralia. Yeah, after this curse in 1890, Centralia was still thriving with over 2,700 residents, seven churches, had five hotels, 27 saloons, a lot of saloons. That is a lot of saloons. Two theaters and 14 supermarkets. It faced a little bit of an economic downturn in 1917 when most of the young miners um, were sent off to war to fight in World War I. Yeah. The town's economy collapsed rather quickly after that. Uh, of course, in, uh, in 1929, there's a stock market crash. Um, a lot of mines were closed, but there was a market for shaft mining where the materials... Very dangerous <laughs> shaft the, the materials of the supporting structures lining a mine shaft were removed um, because people would sell those materials and obviously, this is very dangerous and resulted in some mines um, collapsing and a few deaths. Yeah. And this would happen and this would continue until um, 1982. Uh, now, 1962 is when a real trouble starts. On May 27th, a group of volunteer firefighters acting as a cleanup crew were attempting to clean up the local landfill. And this local landfill was a large, 300-foot-wide, 75-foot-long, 50-foot-deep hole that had been created long before due to strip mining. Yeah. And in the walls of this pit were little holes that led into the tunnels of other closed mines. Now, the crew ignited a fire, as they'd done before many other cleanup um, operations. They ignited a fire to clean up the refuse inside this landfill, letting the landfill burn throughout the day and later that evening doused it with, out with water. 
But two days later, a fire reappeared in this landfill and was extinguished again with water. But then another fire would appear again on June 4th. And days after this, a hole as wide as 15 feet and several feet high was found in one of the pit walls, having previously been concealed with garbage. And it was found to have provided a pathway to a labyrinth of old mines beneath Centralia. And this hole may have led to the eventual underground mine fire that still plagues the town today. Yeah, and now the town, and the town, I believe, was completely evacuated. You're not allowed to go there. You, I mean, the fumes from the burning of underneath the town will kill you. You cannot go and investigate. You, I don't think you can get anywhere near it because it is just, it's just a place where you're going to die. Heat he, he rises through the ground. Um, making the town always a little bit warmer than its surroundings, despite the weather at the time. If you drive on some roads, you, your tires may melt a little bit. Yeah. Is how hot it gets. Um, poisonous gas also vents up through the ground, and it, it would waft inside um, places of business and people's homes, Oof. which caused the, the the besides the carbon monoxide poisoning. Obviously, um, it, it caused people to get sick. Yes, and there were sinkholes that which that were not uncommon to appear. Uh, and yeah. with flames at the bottom, right? It was all like, then there would be like the sinkhole would appear yeah. and then it would be like fire. Exactly. And like so, coals and stuff. This is like, so crazy. This happened over the course of 22 years until That's 1984 after, after several slow going cleanup operations. Basically, the, the government said, screw this. We're going to. You're just going to let it burn. Close the town. We're, and so in 1984, an act of Congress paid for the relocation of most of the residents of the town, effectively abandoning it. Yeah. And a few residents stayed behind, but no more than a dozen live there today. That's yeah. so crazy. Um, so the question is, does the St. Ignatius Roman Catholic Church still remain there? And no, it does not. It was raised oh. in 1997. Oh. What does remain there in, as of 2016 is still an active church. But it's not the St. Ignatius Roman Catholic Church. It's the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary Ukrainian Catholic Church. That's interesting. Which still has about, even though there's there's technically less than a dozen people living in that town right now, it still has about 50 parishioners a year. It's, is, ju it's just so crazy to me. Like, I don't know. I, do we think that, that everything that happened to that town is as a result of the priest's curse? I mean, obviously the church was raised, so that part didn't happen. But uh, after the Great Depression, it did have an up, uh, it did it, have an economic upswing. Yeah, it was a thriving town before 1962. When yeah, this... yeah. Well, he didn't really have a time limit on his curse. <laughs> That's the thing about it too. He, like, he, didn't, curse... he didn't say, "Okay, by this date, you're all screwed." Right. I think if you're gonna make a curse, you gotta put a date on it, like or else. Wow. <laughs> wow. Now it's like. X happens so many years later. Is it part of the country? after all this great stuff happened yeah, in the yeah. town after an economic recovery, but then calamity happens again. Is it really part of that curse? Like, huh. Talking about curses as a whole, I you know, bad things happened. Whether it's on a Friday the thirteenth in a specific town uh, when you're a specific age, bad things can happen. It could just all very well be coincidence. I will say this. I'll say if I ever have cause in my life, if I'm that angry at something about something to ever invoke a curse, it better fucking work. 
<clears throat> I am not cutting that. <laughs> well, I'll say this about that. Make sure you have a goddamn time limit. <laughs> I want dates. <laughs> yes. The legalese behind this curse, the language I'll use, will be precise. Are you going to be using statistical analysis? Statistical analysis? Statistical analysis will be can be used to judge the effectiveness of that curse years later. Again, basing it on data. Basing on data. And that, my friends, is true enough for this month. True enough for me. Happy Friday the 13th. Yes, happy Friday the 13th. May nothing unlucky befall you today. Thanks for listening to this month's episode of True Enough with your hosts, Catherine Duvall and Brandon McCowan. Thank you to our sources listed in our show notes. Follow us on Twitter at Enough underscore True and Facebook at True Enough Nation. If you have questions, comments, or a case you'd like us to cover, please email us at trueenoughnation at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, remember to subscribe on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Radio Public, Anchor, or Stitcher, as we continue to determine what is true enough to be believed. <laughs>